A quick note before this week's episode, it was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the film being discussed here would not exist. Are you serious? Colton Briggs? This is Colton Briggs' place? He was just quiet. And I'm his wife. And you hit me in the face with your gun. Broke my arm. Shot his horse. You boys have woke up the devil. God damn it, Jimmy! You bringing hell down on us! I absolutely know who you are. Hmm? Go away, man. In fact, I'm on my bed. My baby, my baby. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's September, and you know what that means. Beef. Nick Cage month. <laughs> Beef! It's Nick Cage month! Oh, man. You would have thought that uh, this is now our fourth iteration, I believe, of Nick Cage month. Yes. Uh, you'd think we'd be close to running out. We're not even. No. We, we've barely scratched the surface. I will say at the top, as everyone has heard, obviously, the Nick Cage SLP heads from way back already are familiar with this sound effect. That I, I think this showed up last year, but still, this has been in the rotation whenever we needed it. Beef! But I am excited. This is week one of 2023 Nick Cage month and very excited to already have a new sound effect to live next to it anytime we need it. Where, where, my baby, my baby. To there. And you perfect. You might think like how useful are those two clips going to be, but I think they're going to be pretty useful. And I like here's an example. Look, look at this. This is watch this. Hey Nick Cage, what's your favorite Netflix television show from the past year? Yeah, that's, that's, mine too. It was really great. What did you think of, of Ali Wong's reaction when her husband and daughter left her? What, what did she do? I'm trying to remember. Where, where, my baby, my baby. That's right. That's right. I remember now. Yeah, see? See, the uses are infinite. <laughs> yeah, that's just one. There are as many uses as there are Nick Cage movies for yeah, us like to if watch. If I were to say, uh, hey, Nick Cage. Uh, what was that thing that's for dinner as per a late 90s ad campaign? Beef! That's what's for dinner. And, uh, you know, if uh, you were cast in a Charles Lindbergh biopic, what might you say after uh, the famous kidnapping of your child? Where, where, my baby, my baby. Perfect, yeah. Uh, yeah, it also reminds me of Nick Cage. You know, the, the where's the beef lady just makes me think of classic commercials. I'm trying to remember that Chili's theme song. Can you kind of like vaguely remember what I'm talking about? There was that famous uh, Chili's, you know, how did it yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd was, it go? Where, where, my baby, my baby. 
baby, baby back, back ribs. ribs barbecue sauce that is thank you nick <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah thank you nick cage um <laughs> I, I love nick cage month it's it's something i look forward to every year uh gets me through the doldrums of you know bringing about a new school year uh we get to watch nick cage movies and uh we watch the old way yeah from 2023 which is billed as his first traditional western the nick cage there's a few there's like a little bit of a caveat there because there, there's another movie that we've talked about doing and and we'll likely do one day on this show prisoners of the ghost land uh which is uh definitely playing into like western tropes and he's done some other films like that but he's never i was like ghost rider you could argue plays into some western tropes as well especially when he has that ride with sam elliott as uh the two ghost riders i would argue that any film that has sam elliott in it has western vibes even ang lee's hulk yeah it it kind of it was the westerniest of all the marvel films yes not counting the thing that we just talked about ghost rider yeah um, <laughs> it's the second westerniest after Ghost Rider and Ghost Rider Two. Yeah. Anyways, um, but yes, yeah, the old way came out this year. It, yeah, it came out this year. It's already maligned. Uh, look at that turnaround time on that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it is a western, and it is maligned, and it is Nick Cage, and. <sighs> Here's the weird thing about this movie. So, and I'm just going to refer to the IMDb page uh, just because it struck me as odd. So they list the top build cast. Uh, like as they normally do on the, the Wikipedia page, Nick Cage is fifth and he's objectively the star of this movie. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that Nick Cage is the star of every film that he's ever been in, which I do well, argue, I, but I make that argument as well, but unequivocally, this is a film that Nick Cage, he's the protagonist. Who do they yeah, put above he's him? on the poster. Yeah, he's on the poster. So, so yeah, top build cast. Uh, they list uh, Philip Aguirre as the store owner. Ryan Kier Armstrong as his daughter, Brooke. Clint Howard as Eustace. Uh, Caitlin Bauer as Maria. He actually shows up like ninth as Colton Briggs. To, yeah, this ranking is insanity. I yeah, I'm gonna guess that, that that can't possibly be like you know the call sheet. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, it's sorted by credit order, and it doesn't make sense. He's listed behind Noah Lagros, who played James McAllister, Abraham Ben Ruby, who played Big Mike, Nick Searcy, who played Marshall Jarrett, Dean Armstrong, who played Clark. Everett Blunk that played young Jimmy McAllister. Maybe Nick Cage was just like, you know what? Put my name at the bottom. I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need the top draw. Let's do these credits the old way. Um, it's not because it's not even in an order of appearance. That's what I was trying to figure out. I was running through that, but I think Nick Cage, he might not be the first person that you see, but he's one of the first people that you see for sure. He's in the opening scene. He's yeah. objectively the lead. Because like, if you look at a movie we did last year, Jiu-Jitsu, he's barely more than a cameo in that movie. Right. And he's the first listed and like the main feature of a lot of the the poster and trailer and stuff. Well, that is what's wild about it is normally with these types of films, which we often end up doing in Nick Cage month, it it feels like 
they got Nick Cage to show up to get the movie made. And then, you know, he, he was there for a few days. Uh, but this he's in he has like poochy status in the old way where even when Nick Cage <laughs> is not on screen, the other characters are asking, where's Nick Cage? Yeah, but they should be asking, like, what's Nick Cage doing? Yeah. Where's Nick Cage right now? Yeah. Where is Colton Briggs? There, you can hear the clip that we played. Colton Briggs not actually in it, but everybody's talking about Colton Briggs. I actually don't think there's a scene where he's not mentioned. No, I yeah, I think it's he's in if he's not in the scene, he's being talked about yeah. in almost every scene. Yes. Everything that everyone does revolves around either reacting to him or finding him. Or avoiding being found by him. Yes. Uh are the three choices, and one of those three things happens in every moment of this uh movie. Mm-hmm. Uh and man, it's a dull ass movie. Yeah, so I think we can do this pretty quick. Um, I mean, you, the clip at the top kind of sets it up, but it's, it's pretty standard, well-worn, well-practiced uh, genre stuff. You have uh, Colton Briggs, Nicolas Cage's character, was once a a bad gunslinger, you know, unstoppable. Gun for hire, basically. Gun for hire. And then he... he and a- We'll we'll save that for the silver linings. Yeah. I'm not even going to say it yet. But uh, but he he put that life behind him. That was the old way. He met a woman, uh, became a shopkeeper, had a daughter, and lived a quiet life until and get ready for this, everybody. His past caught up with him. And, In a western, yeah. the hell you say? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so these characters show up looking for him. They find his wife instead. Uh, they murder her, and then he and his daughter set off to get revenge. All of that, like I said, there's a million westerns, and a lot of them are very good with that exact premise or very close to that premise. I think that's fine. I don't actually have any problem with that. None, How- no, none whatsoever. But I think the problem, the biggest problem, is so when... The the first two thirds of this movie, all we're hearing is that what this guy, he was a bad man. Like everyone is constantly talking about how bad he was. And we see this one scene that's very short in the beginning. And then it's just his he's moved on. When you get to that third act, he's got to be John Wick. It's got to be like uh, Bruce Willis in Last Man Standing yeah. or or John Wick or Clint Eastwood in a lot of his Westerns. Yeah, like it's that, you know, yeah, the gunslinger has to come to town and take out and, an entire town. And sling some guns. Yeah, he's got to sling guns. He does not sling nearly enough guns. There are essentially three bad guys and he only... He kills two of them. <laughs> yes. And so and not the really old one or the one who actually murdered his wife. Yeah. The two you think he'd be most likely to kill. Yes. Instead, he kills the other guys. And uh, it's just it's not enough gunslinging. It's you. You've hyped us up. You you cast Nick Cage, which, again, if anyone has seen Mandy, for example, <laughs> like. Nick Cage wanting revenge 
good premise. Five Night or uh, what is it? Uh, not Five Nights at Freddy's, but the movie that's basically Five Nights at Freddy's. The one that we did last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's him getting revenge on a bunch of animatronics. Yeah. Like- Nick Cage is a good revenge fantasy. Good choice to cast as a revenge avenge uh, an avenging angel if you will yeah and even it's not even like a revenge thing but even something like face off if you think about it just like nick cage firing guns and being badass you know this is what we want we want nick cage like there are many modes of nick cage and i will argue that he, he people are often reductive when they talk about nick cage and what he's capable of but you put him in a western we want nick cage to just take everyone out yeah, and and this is one of those things where the director writer made a big mistake in going for realism because of course he's unpracticed. Yeah, and, and like this movie played out probably closer to how it really would if a guy who hadn't fired a gun in a in twelve years went to try to sling some guns again. He'd probably not be great at it. But here's the thing. This is a work of fiction. Right. And a movie. Look, I saw how perfect those jelly beans looked in in your old timey store back in the day. Those look you bought jelly beans from a grocery store and you put them in a glass jar. So that that's some Hollywood magic because there's no way they looked that perfect back then. Yeah, and nor did you take the time to use different takes than the ones that showed tire tracks. Right. Like, if we're going to play the realism game, you you have to try harder. Yeah, you got to do a got to wake up a little bit earlier in the morning <laughs> to, to bring some realism to old Nick Cage. Yeah, I mean, because Nick Cage brings realism. For example, like, you want to hear Nick Cage cry? Wah, wah, my baby, my baby. Realism. Yeah, flawless. Yeah. Um, yeah, this like and this movie makes some other weird narrative choices, like I think it's tr- it al- Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say just cause like it almost tries to make like a triangular conflict with uh Marshall Jarrett, the 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 bandits and Nick Cage and his daughter. But like the Marshall and Nick Cage are on the same team. Right. Yeah, it didn't it didn't make sense, especially when the marshal was saying, I'm going to catch him and I'm going to hang him. So it's like, so in your version, the guy still gets strung up and killed. So what's the difference between the old way and your way? Well, they try to address it. <laughs> so, well, it's like, you know, Colorado's a state now, so we got laws. So we're going to try him by a jury of his peers and then hang him by the neck until dead. But it's like, and it's, yeah, it's like, first of all, no, you're not. No, no, no you're not. No, they, um, there's nothing about the antagonist in this film that screams, take me alive. I'm going to surrender. Yeah, no, it's. um, It'd be one thing if. If this movie was maybe set even further in the future, like it was like it was maybe like right around like 1900, like. Where the West was still sort of rough and tumble, but things were starting to modernize as well into the Industrial Revolution. Then you might be able to make that case. It's like, no, we live in a society of laws now. This won't fly. But 
even still, like the gunfight of the OK Corral was in 1896, I believe. Right. That's the thing. It doesn't sell the like it's called the old way, but it doesn't sell the idea that the because essentially it's an internal change in Nick Cage. The, the world itself does not seem like it's passed him by and become a more modern world. And that doesn't seem like that actually is the conflict. It's instead a conflict about one man who's trying to be a better person. Yeah. Sorry, the gunfight at Oki Corral was 1881, but I believe this movie was set in 1870. So, yeah. So it still works. Um, So, yeah, but like either way. So like the idea of the lawlessness of the old West doesn't hold a lot of water. The idea that, um, you know, that the 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 marshal is going to bring him in and, and bring him to a proper form of justice doesn't hold a lot of water. Um, and so, you know, or even if the marshal's like, uh, no, I, I need to bring this guy in and I need you not to, because you need to be the right father for your daughter. Like that might've even made more sense. Yes. But also let's talk about this marshal because there is an insane scene. <laughs> Early on when we meet the, by the way, Marshall played by Nick Cersei, who, uh, like great casting, uh, because he literally also played a Marshall in Justified as, uh, (laughs) Raylan Givens boss. And I, I really liked him in that. So like great casting, you know, that was very much a modern day Western, but so the Marshall and his men, they stumble upon Nick Cage's house before. Well, because basically Nick Cage and his daughter are out when his wife is killed. And so the, the marshal gets there first and finds the body of his wife. And then there's a moment where Nick Cage is digging a hole to bury his wife. And he's sitting with Nick Cage's daughter. And who's just learned that her mom died. And he, her mom is 10 feet away in a shroud. Yes. And he's sitting on the porch with her going, your dad was a terrible man. He was the worst. He, the baddest man on the planet. He was the baddest man on the planet. If you had met him back then, he probably would have murdered you because he's an he was an evil murderer. And he especially would have done it if people paid him money to do it because he murdered for money. Your daddy was an awful, horrible monster. Anyway, I'm out. <laughs> it's like, but that, but then he married your mom. Oh yeah, yeah. Then he married your mom, and that seems so. You don't know what I'm talking about. Why you look really confused right now that I'm saying all of this? Because you've never seen that side of your dad. But I'm breaking it to you. Good thing that you didn't know about it until now. When I'm telling you, I, I do love that uh, the daughter totally calls Marshall. Like, well, are you a bad man, Marshall Jarrett? Yeah, because his logic being because. Your dad had guns and she was like, I've never seen my dad hold a gun. And then she's like, you have a gun. So, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, like that, that I thought was was well, was well delivered. Um, Yeah, just. And then it's just. The fact that he constantly apologized to the girl for swearing, but then kept swearing like that was weird. Yeah, I don't know. Like, just. uh, And then, like, they kidnap the marshals to. Torture them for information about where the uh, McAllister gang is and. 
it's and then there's like the showdown that's like a non-showdown and then it ends i will say the only thing like the other choice they should have made and they kind of almost did it was because they sort of hint at the beginning that nicholas cage sees a lot of his old self in his daughter yeah that like she's you know unruly kind of you know is missing that compassion gene um and then if she had been the one that just murdered everybody like that would have been kind of a cool ending well but she does straight up shoot uh McAllister in the head at the end that's what i was gonna say i i do like that like i like that she was the one to shoot McAllister, and i i understand why they were trying to get there there's also something uh i mean she saved us all 20 years of a sequel because you know McAllister waited 20 years to kill the guy who killed his dad so she just knocked it out right away to not really yeah. draw it out but yeah there's it's kind of weird because like i wasn't really sure what to make of it and the movie doesn't spend enough time on it but it almost is doing like a dexter kind of thing in that scene i'm not going to play the clip again at the moment but uh the in the actual scene where he's the reason that he he says that he's trying to get her to fake cry is because he's using his daughter to get the jump on the marshal and his men but he's saying to her well, you need to cry to get their sympathy so the the guy will stop and then I can uh, pull a gun on him. And she says, I don't know how to cry. And she's 12 and she's explaining that she's never cried before and she doesn't understand how crying works. And he either before that or after that, but at some other point in the film, he explains that he. It might be when he's talking to the marshal about his wife or something, because it is because the marshal's like, you don't seem all that upset. And he he explains that he doesn't cry. And they're like I said, it's almost like a Dexter thing or something. There's some kind of like emotional dysregulation where neither one of them are able to cry or understand human emotions. But then he tells her that it's like I didn't. And then I met your mom and then it fixed it. And so it's like really difficult to even make sense of what we're supposed to take from like i don't even really know what that is that they're supposed to have and it like i said the the film doesn't spend enough time on it because it it doesn't work that like i felt nothing i was completely dead inside and then i met your mom and then i became a very warm loving person what yeah a lot of it doesn't make sense and then the fact that it ends with 12-year-old riding off on her own. Which seems like the old way. That does not seem like the new... That does not seem like the new... That does not seem like the new Colorado that, that you know, we've all been hearing about. Well, it also... That very much seems like the old way. It has that thing, too, where the marshal, who's been a real hard-ass to both of them up until this point, just suddenly decides, with no real reason to do so, like, you know what? I feel like I have two choices. Either I say you and your dad murdered everyone in cold blood, or I say that you and your dad are heroes who murdered them righteously. Either way, I don't think you'll go to jail. So whatever, I'm out. It's like, what? Deuces. <laughs> you seemed like you cared a lot until the end when someone told you you had five minutes to wrap this all up. Yeah. And also, you don't care what happens to her? Just... <laughs> like, Man, just I want to see the, like, luck, unhinged... Yeah. I, I just want to see like the unhinged Sam Peckinpah version of this movie that's just 
crazy violent and no full it, on revenge fantasy at the end. No, that's what it needed. Like, I feel like you're doing the if you say the phrase you woke up the devil, then you have to have an insane third act. And like it almost approaches it when he kills uh, Gary Kubiak when he like stabs him in the back and then slits his throat. Yes. But um, but then, yeah, and then he gets winged by Clint Howard. Which, and... Why is Clint Howard getting the jump on him? <laughs> Clint Howard, who has the best line in the movie when he's like, she kicked me in the balls. <laughs> Look, I will say this. This is my De Niro and Pacino appearing together in Heat. Uh, who who among <laughs> us who that's a big SLP fan has not waited for the moment that Nick Cage and Clint Howard would share the screen together? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been I've been that's one of the reasons that we picked it this month is that it was Clint Howard and Nick Cage yeah. together at last. Look, I I love Clint Howard and anytime he shows up value added in my book, but no, he, he's an all time great character actor and there's no. Um, here, so once upon a time, there was a show that actually tapped into the pop culture called the MTV Movie Awards. And uh, they gave out these like joke lifetime achievement awards and they gave one to Clint Howard. Mm hmm. And he took it as such a genuine award and gave such a genuine heartfelt speech. They're like, all right, well, we're never doing that again because that was too perfect. <laughs> No, Clint Howard is the best. I don't know if Ice Cream Man is like, is that bad? Like, does, is that beloved or is that does that have bad reviews? Because I would love to discuss that on this podcast. I'm day. sure it's both. So uh, I I mean, we kind of have a plan for October. But if Ice Cream Man snuck in. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset. I didn't catch what you said. Oh, I was just saying, you know, if uh, and we had kind of a plan for October, but if uh, Ice Cream Man snuck in, I wouldn't be upset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, always happy when when Clint Howard shows up. But but all that being said, he's a character actor. He's not the guy who should get the drop on Nick Cage in a movie like this. Like and especially the way they portrayed Eustace's character through the whole movie. If he's the one that survives, it should be because he's like groveling and peeing his pants in fear at the end. And Nick Cage just doesn't get him. But he doesn't. He's shot in the head at the end. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, he's straight up murdered. Which, look, no, I get it. And, and maybe it's not even the first one to do it. But don't think I didn't notice that you're doing the end of Die Hard. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like... God bless you. I mean, should we all be so lucky to do our own version of the end of Die Hard? But you, you have a guy come out with two people and one of them is pointing a gun at the head of, uh, you know, in this case, it's his daughter. But, you know, in, in Die Hard, it's his wife. But like, that's about as A to A that you can do. I mean, they weren't high up and nobody fell out of a building in the end. But yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm ready to pivot and talk about the good in this movie. I mean, I will in one second, but since I brought it up and I did take a second to look it up, since you looked up 
the OK Corral thing. I want to be historically accurate. I know one of us uh, is a history teacher, so I, I do strive for accuracy. And I just want to point out, this is all Wikipedia based, but there it's unclear when jelly beans were even became a thing. It, it says that there are claims that they were first mentioned during in, in 1861 which would have still made them very new by the time this movie came out. But it's not until 1905 that they appear in a newspaper, the first mention of jelly beans. So just throwing that out there. Those like factory perfect. We definitely bought some like jelly bird eggs from CVS, cut them open and put them in a jar. <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you could, I'm, I would be amazed if you couldn't see the Jelly Belly logo on some of them. <laughs> Probably. I do like that. Okay, now we're ready to pivot because I will say that I did enjoy the daughter individually cleaning. The, sorting them. Sorting and cleaning the jelly beans because the man had uh, tried to take some and then put them back with his dirty hands. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um. So... I'm going to give one thing a silver lining and say that it was a missed opportunity through the course of the movie, but Nicolas Cage's mustache in the opening scene. Oh, perfect. Just golden. Yeah. Um, if I'm making this movie, his mustache grows in through the course of the, the <laughs> arc of the movie. See, you're, you're more restrained than I am. If I made this movie, the second he decided to hunt his wife's killer, the mustache would just grow. <laughs> it just appears <laughs> he just goes and then it just boop, boop. <laughs> while he's pound while he's with one hand pounding the cross into the ground to mark her grave <laughs> it's like pumping the uh the play-doh guy to make the mustache come out yeah yeah for for sure but no the mustache man you know it's fine you don't see nick cage with a lot of facial hair like it happens from time to time but it doesn't he'll have... do the full beard a lot he'll, he'll do like the, full the five o'clock shadow a lot yeah but you don't see him it's hard to think of mustache nick cage roles raising arizona is the first one that comes to mind but other than that and the best one and the best one yeah for sure uh that is a that is a quality mustache um so beyond nick cage and we kind of talked about it with uh clint howard but this movie does have a good cast it does yeah um always happy to see clint howard nick cersei who we already talked about from you know from his work on justified i'm always happy to see abraham ben ruby aka gary kubiak from parker lewis can't lose that i love that that's what you think of him from because that is all i will ever think of him from and it's i don't i watched er i loved er he was great on er he's gary kubiak 100 percent uh yeah, just with his giant, like, uh, it was actually like just a grocery bag, like a brown paper grocery bag lunch, like his huge, they, because for those who haven't seen it, they made that man look like such a giant on Parker Lewis Can't Lose, yes. which is a great show that I think Andy and I are the only people who remember it because we're the exact right age demographic to have watched it. A hundred percent. Yeah. I still remember the commercial when they advertised that show where they just said his name over and over again, because I thought the character's name was going to be Lewis Parker when they <laughs> were running the ads because they just, it was like Parker, Lewis, Parker, Lewis. Like it was just like different people saying his name and yeah. Yeah. 
Um, oh, it's it's Larry Kubiak. I was calling him Gary Kubiak. I want to make sure Larry that Kubiak. correction gets in. And, and now, since we're trying to be accurate about this show that I have not thought about in decades, what did he say? Let's eat, or what was his like catchphrase? He had a food based catchphrase. Oh God, I think it was just like eat now. It was something like that. But whatever it was, I I only remember one episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose, and I don't know why I remember this exact point, but. There was a plot where he scored. I think he might have. They even might have gone full for it and said that he scored. Oh, no, it's eat now. Eat now. I th- there was it was either like the SAT or but it was some kind of Scantron test and he scored a perfect score on it. And it was because he just bubbled in the letters eat now and got <laughs> a perfect score on a test. And that's the only like plot line I remember in Parker Lewis. But there was one point too later on where they realized that like the big dumb oaf thing was an act and he was actually like intelligent. I, I see. I don't remember that, but I love it. But no, I I had that. I'm so glad that you had that too. That This is a silver lining right now that we both share the Parker Lewis can't lose fondness. Yeah. Well, and, and that's like Abraham and Ruby has been had a phenomenal career as a character actor. Like he was a great as the orderly nurse on ER. Which is probably how most people know him. <laughs> and rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. But he's still always going to be Larry Kubiak from <laughs> Parker Lewis Can't Lose. This little like minute snippet of a show that lasted for like two seasons and was just a ripoff of ferris bueller's day off 100 percent, it was a ripoff of ferris bueller's day off it's a, or it was like that with maybe a little zach morris thrown in there yeah just a little sprinkling of of zach morris and but i i can't see him and not see larry kubiak this is like the fact that for some reason my brain will still think of ryan reynolds and nathan Fillion from two guys a girl in a pizza place Right, because uh, Ryan Fillion, or sorry, Ryan Reynolds played the pizza place. Was that right? right. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds was the pizza place, and Nathan Fillion was the two guys. Right. Yeah, and the girl um, was from Dirty Work, which you can go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, yeah, it was Trailer Howard, yeah. who we love. Yeah. Uh, big ups to Trailer Howard. Um, But yeah, and like, I don't know, like I thought uh, the young actress that played Brooke, I yeah. thought she did a good job. Yeah, no, I actually, Ryan, uh, Kira Armstrong, I was definitely going to make sure that we mentioned her by name because I mean, we again, and, and we watch a lot of bad movies and I, we always make a point. We never try to like pick on kid actors or anything, but you know, sometimes child acting, especially in movies with this kind of budget can be kind of stiff you know okay could you imagine if the uh the first movie we did for this entire podcast involved like crapping on a child actor that would be terrible that would set a horrible precedent and that's not what a terrible way to start and that's not something that that we we would never do that uh but uh that would be some kind of like just i don't know like I would haunt us like, the entire time. It would time. haunt us, would... like be some kind of like a phantom yeah, menacing the, the us. the whole time. Yeah, in the background. Uh, but no, I, I I thought that she was so natural and so good in this. And I really liked her. And I, I actually think that there were like a couple different movies that they hinted at. We talked more about the revenge Western thing, but the... 
sort of more in line with uh i don't know like man on fire or something like that or like the idea of a of more of a film where he's training his daughter to like logan or something you know like or to like even tie it to uh a western true grit <laughs> true is kind grit, of that yes too. is the western version of that but like him teaching his daughter how to protect herself how to shoot people i really like that and i will say again in the scene where he's trying to teach her how to cry it it, it she got a sincere laugh out of me in the way that she repeated back to nick cage wow wow my baby my baby in the exact same way that he did as flat and unconvincing as he did and then that's how she did it to like and they, they play it to that the guy is mostly just confused he doesn't believe that she's crying but he's like what yeah well and even like the scene where uh Nicholas Cage is like, all right, we have to rest. And she's like, but we're they're ahead of us and we're going, you know, all that. And he's like, do you want these horses to die of exhaustion? Trust me, we'll catch him. And like just explaining that, uh, you know, revenge is a dish best served cold, essentially. And that you have to be dispassionate committing your crimes of passion. Um, just they had a really good dynamic with each other. And I thought she did a really good job. Um, and I wish the whole movie was better because I think we'd be talking a lot about it if it was. Yeah, like even the scene where she goes in on her own, which is the logic is is smart. But then it it obviously doesn't work because they recognize her. But Nick Cage is trying to get her to go into the town to scope out to see if the the villains are all there. But she walks into a store and she launches into this whole made up story about why she's there and she sells that really well too mm -hmm. yeah so yeah ryan kira armstrong absolutely nailed it and it was interesting i was kind of looking i mean she it seems like she gets a lot of work you know she she was in black widow she was in the new it like films like seems like she you know like which makes sense because she's a really good child actor which is a precious commodity <laughs> yes for sure um yeah and like yeah it was just the villains i thought were were good i thought it was their dynamic as like a gang because you had the leader that was a little overzealous you had the big dumb oaf you had the the weird old guy you know all the classic villain tropes <laughs> who doesn't love weird old guy as a villain trope it's my favorite I weird old guy in a confederate soldier cap the whole time yeah totally uh weird old guy clint howard all the classic villain tropes <laughs> um yeah uh i will say that like while there were some like silly errors like using takes that had like tire tracks in them and some things like that uh some of like the scenic vistas that they use in the movie i thought were really well shot some like the landscape portraits that they put on screen were really well done yeah um you know uh like this in almost every category this was a degree off from being good and thus ended up bad yeah it's a good thing we're in the silver linings portion and not the maligning portion because i totally gave this movie a pass on the music and forgot to mention how weird the the music was the score throughout it was doing like a very playful western like you know, like, it was totally not the right type of Western music. Like, I understand it, it sounded like a player piano in a saloon in a Western instead of like the we're out for revenge and murder Western music. 
Yeah, and then the end credit song, which I don't recall ever showing up in the movie, was just like really heavy and really hard and seemed weird. Yeah, so all of that was strange. But again, we're we're past that, so I'm not even going to bring that no, up. We're we're not going to we're talking about the the good aspects of this movie. I I will um, say, look, it's Nick Cage's first western, and I first true western, first true western, and I'm going to say, hopefully, first of many, and I think. You're on board with this, that we got to get him and pardon the pun back in the saddle to do another Western. And I think we we take the good from this, which is Nick Cage as a gunslinger and his mustache. We stick with those from the beginning and you just commit to it. And I don't need any of this backstory what if he's a gunslinger that's just a gunslinger and has never stopped yeah that's fine i was just thinking of another way to make this movie even better so when he puts on his old gunslinging clothes if the mustache was hanging up next to everything see yes yes he puts the puts the hat puts the mustache coat on puts the mustache on yeah it's that would have been good too that would have been very good. Um, yeah, I would I would love to watch Nick Cage, even if he was like that veteran gunslinger that maybe is a little over the hill, but like or do like a one last job style Western. Oh, yeah. Like a Magnificent like Seven kind of he's the older guy in the crew thing. Yeah, they should just remake the Magnificent Seven. That that's always that. No always one's works. tried to do that recently. And Magnificent Seven itself an original idea. So I yes, think completely original, not taken from any other country's cinema. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's ripe. It's it's due. It's due. <laughs> I mean, yeah. At some point, we all do need to address the fact that every good western is just based on a Kurosawa film. I. <laughs> I think the exceptions are Treasure of the Sierra Madre and The Searchers because they both came out before Kurosawa started making movies. And Back to the Future Part 3. And Back to the Future Part 3, which, I which don't is think not is at all. based on a Kurosawa film. <laughs> no, not at all. Not It's certainly not based on a, uh, a spaghetti western that's based on a Kurosawa film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can argue that culturally it's still filtering in. essentially but you know what i will say that like back to the future three is a really good example of what i was thinking at the end is i and i'll I'll keep it on the positive of like i'm calling you out marshall and he comes out outgunned his daughters in peril you want him to have a plan there you know like i like that he comes out you're doing the the standoff but I, I thought, especially because he was like, you know, they were like, put your arms up. And he's like, I can't put this arm up. But I was hoping he had like a shotgun up his sleeve or something. Something. Well, that, like, I, and I know we're in the positive points, but that's another thing where they're like, oh, well, if he's, you know, hiding out, then we're never going to find him. We're going to have to flush him out. And then he just runs by. Yeah, it just it really I mean, not to keep hammering it, but it's just that third act. You, you got the, the classic third act problems. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I wanted to like this movie a lot more than I did because it's Nick Cage month, and I love liking Nick Cage movies. But you know what? It's all uphill from here because we still we got three more shots. Got three more shots to do things the old way. 
Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Eight. 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 Potato Salad Marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.